Welcome to the Pastor's Cut. This week we are joined by our Norwood Park location pastor, Brenton Smith. Yeah, and we get to talk with him about his sermon on Romans chapter 13, verses 8 to 14, as well as St. Augustine and Josiah, the kid who became king at eight years old. Great, let's get started. I'm Hillary Murphy. And I'm Trevor Lovell. And this is the Pastor's Cut with Brenton Smith. Hello, Brenton. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode of the Pastor's Cut. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. And as we're approaching the Thanksgiving season, I just wanted to hear what you are most thankful for today. Oh, man. Um, I would have to say I'm thankful. Well, given the last week that we had beautiful weather, I was thankful for the weather. It was like so, it was great. Um, You know, I think besides that, definitely uh, something even this Corona season has done for us as a family. I'm thankful that we have actually come back to being uh, so much more on the same schedule as a family. And so I'm thankful that we spend more time around the table. We spend more time um, just even staying up later in the living room, talking with the older kids. So that's, that's, I think, something I'm very thankful for, that we have a a season to be able to still connect as a family. That's great. Trevor, what about you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good question. Um, This is a tradition your family does, right? Kind of going around the table at Thanksgiving. Yes, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, it's I'm practicing my answer. So <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Um, yeah, I would say there's a lot that I'm thankful for. And I felt very thankful for my family uh, lately. Just had kind of a lot of sweet time with them recently, which has been good. Kind of same thing, Brenton, just more time with them. And uh, more time doesn't always equal more thankfulness for family. But but thankfully, recently, <laughs> it has. Um, so yeah, I would say that's been a piece of it. And I've just, I've been enjoying this season in life. I know it's a difficult season with what's happening, uh, you know, just kind of worldwide right now. But personally, I've, I've kind of enjoyed certain aspects of just where, um, of life right now. So yeah, I I've, I've felt kind of a lot of, a lot of gratitude there, thankfulness. So what about you, Hillary? I think also the weather, <laughs> like Brenton said, uh, my mood is significantly impacted by the weather. So the fact that we've had so much sun in November when I've kind of given up on it has been really great for my mental health. And I got to go on a long bike ride this weekend. So I'm also really thankful for my bike and just the fun way that's been to explore the city, especially during this weird season of COVID. Mm-hmm. Where'd you go to? Uh, along the 606 and then around some, some neighborhoods. Okay. Nice. I've heard that's good stuff. I've not, I've not been to that. Trevor, add it to your list. It's great. 606, maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll have to check it out. Uh, yes. I actually, I went on a walk during a meeting yesterday, um, during a Zoom meeting. I was just walking around and uh, yeah. I walked through a neighborhood that I used to live in and it was so nostalgic, just like seeing oh, all yeah. these, like the parks that I used, like we used to take our kids to and uh, like the old commutes that used to be part of just like the regular daily life. And yeah, it's nice to kind of get out and see new parts of the city and also parts that like you used to live in. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I did the same thing yesterday, except I was walking through a forest preserve. Like, yeah. <laughs> that sounds wonderful. Side with short sleeves. So I'm going to take advantage of it. So yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Brenton, you preached um, 
You preached at Forest Glen and Norwood Park this past weekend on Romans chapter 13, right? Um, verses 8 to 14. Right. Could you give us a quick recap of your sermon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think uh, initially, I think like any pastor in the nation needed to do, I addressed a little bit of the political climate and whatnot. I think that's an important piece for us. Um, and actually took some excerpts from um, a, a book that we had given out early on to read. Basically, how do I, how can I get along with, with somebody who voted differently than me in the church? And so we, we kind of talked about that briefly. I had nothing to do with the sermon. I just think it's important for us as a church to, to engage in this conversation. Um, so from the message standpoint, um, I ended up, my big idea was God intends your salvation to touch others, that our, our salvation is just for ourselves, but it actually touches others. And then the two main points was um, that, that he does it through us living in love and also living in light. And those are the two major breakdowns that we see in the passage. Um, so yeah, it, it's basically hitting those two things. Um, I talked about, um, he, he, he talks about not owing any, anything to anyone. And so I kind of went with that motif about how, um, this is going to be a debt that you can never pay. You can never pay off this debt. It's, it's like constantly going to be there to love others is a debt that's there. But the neat thing is it's a, it's a currency that will never run out because we get it straight from God. In fact, in Romans five, five, it says that the Holy spirit pours on pours in his love to us. And so we're never going to run out. So we're indebted for the rest of our life. Like we might have a 15 year mortgage on our house and we might feel like that's a long time. But this debt is even greater and it never, like you can never be done paying it. So, but we also are able to, to pay it because it never runs out. And then also talked about briefly how um, it's a currency that affects every situation and every relationship that we can engage in love with every single person. And then quickly talked about how it fulfills the law um, because that's part of Leviticus 19.18. It's a word that Jesus brings up, bringing up the Good Samaritan and uh, how that's a general term we understand, but kind of the, the story behind the Good Samaritan and actually the idea that when Jesus was stating this, this parable, the idea for most of those listening, uh, when they heard that the Samaritan was walking down the road, they were in their mind thinking like, yeah, this poor Jew is about to get kicked again and stolen like everything else that he had left is going to get stolen and they're going to leave him there for dead. And yet the Good Samaritan actually turns and does everything that the previous people should have done done for him. And then he asks the question, right? Um, who acted like a neighbor? Who was neighborly? And, and in that, I think what the, what the guy was asking was saying, who, where are the limits to my love? Where, where do I have to put limits on who I should care for and love? Uh, contextually, where Jesus gets at in Leviticus 19.18, um, it actually says that you should do no harm to those of the household of, of Israel, to those of your brothers. And so I, I think about the 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 lawyer who asked him that question, he was basically saying, I think this is the limit, you know, on, on the passage that you just said to love your neighbor as yourself, the limit's only the house of Israel. And so mm. Jesus kind of blows that one up uh, for him and for all of us in, in response to that. And then I said, stripped down at the very basic level, verse 10 of the chapter talks about do no wrong to your neighbor. Like it, like that's the strip down, do no wrong to, to your neighbor. That's, that's the way to love, love best. Um, and then when it talks about living in light, he actually uses this metaphor. And actually this time, I, I've never done this before. I was kind of waiting for the day that I could. I preached most of my message in a bathrobe. 
um, because uh, it, it's it's talking to take off, and that's language of of clothing. He's like taking off, take off this clothing, and in particular, he's saying like, wake up, like stop slumbering, stop being a lethargic Christian, um, stop dozing off, and and you must get dressed up with the armor of light. And so I, I use that. So like I said, I preached most of it in a bathrobe, and then I took it off and I put on a suit coat basically saying like, get ready for the day because the day's at hand. Um, and then explained a little bit about what the day of, of the Lord is, what it means to stay like that the day is, is closer. It's running closer. Um, your salvation is not fully accomplished. Paul talks about it in three, three modes, right? A past, present and future idea of salvation. And in this one, he's talking about the future day uh, when the Lord would return. Um, yeah. And then how do, how do we cast off, uh, the works of darkness. He goes into three sets of, of, of words um, that have to do with substance abuse, sexual brokenness, and then selfish attitudes. Um, so I kind of stayed on that for a little bit and then ended with putting on the armor of light, which is actually putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, which in that, I think for a long time, and some of you guys are probably old enough to remember this, the, the fad of wearing, uh, what, what would Jesus do bracelets? Um, it's that whole idea of uh, it's more than just wearing a bracelet. He's asking you to put on the Lord Jesus Christ fully. Like he is your armor of light. You know, it's not just put on his good example. It's like put the Lord Jesus Christ on everywhere you go. And so kind of end with that. Um, and actually, uh, so cool. This was a passage that uh, St. Augustine would actually say brought him to salvation. Um, that he was mourning over a sin, didn't quite know how to, conquer it and so he's actually out um with with a friend in in a courtyard type thing uh, Olypius is his friend's name and he kind of even goes further away and just bitterly crying and he hears a kid's voice saying pick up and read and so he takes that as a word from God and he goes and he opens up the Bible and this is the verses that he reads and he is so changed by it because it's saying to put on the Lord Jesus Christ instead of instead of continuing to live in darkness and he, he actually ex expresses uh, expresses that that darkness is the sexual sin that he'd been living in and um, and how even his friend is so touched by it that he also turns his life over to Christ. And so that whole idea of our salvation is not just for us, but it touches others as we continue to, to lean into, into the light. Yeah. That's yeah, that's true. That's really good. Um, guys, you guys don't need to go back and listen to the message anymore. <laughs> that was great. So, I, I don't remember, uh, I didn't, I couldn't remember which passage it was in Romans that it was that Augustine or Augustine picked up and picked it up and, and read. Um, but yeah, it, it was, this was the one just for people listening. Could you share a little bit who, who was Augustine? Cause he's like pretty influential guy. Yeah. 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 Uh, early, early church father. Um, you would actually probably know better the the dates and times. I, I think it's somewhere around the three hundreds. Is that right? It's, 350. Yeah, late 300s, early 400s. Uh, mm -hmm. In that general time frame, um, he, he wrote and definitely had a lot of influence over the church. Uh, and, and some things were really good and some things were, were not so good. Um, he, he wrote this autobiographical devotional that's called The Confessions. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that one just carries a lot of his story. Um, and, and actually even his mom's story and his mom's desire for him to, to understand the gospel. Um, yeah, and he just, he, he brought a lot of idea, a lot of thoughts. Um, actually he was centered in, is it uh, Constantinople area? Like in, in Northern Africa? Is that right? I think, um, uh, Hippo, he was the Bishop of Hippo, Bishop of Hippo yeah, so Northern Africa. Yeah. Um, 
So, so he, very influential in his thinking, I would say, has influenced a lot of theology, um, evangelical and Catholic theology alike. Yeah. Yeah. In the West, he's often considered the most influential theologian. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a couple of his most known works are like the, the City of God, which is a huge tome that's very dense, but uh, he lived around the time of the fall of the uh, Roman Empire, at least the city of Rome. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people were accusing Christianity being the cause of that. And he wrote that book as a response or an apologetic to show that, no, it's actually like paganism is what caused this, not Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, but he also lays out like a really uh, kind of the most developed at that point theology of the city of God um, at, at that point. But probably the best intro to him, if you want to, is, is what you mentioned, the confessions, that a lot of people consider that to be sort of like the invention of introspective writing, like the kind of the first time that that ever happened. Um, so definitely very influential person, both in theology, but even just in kind of literary works. Um, but yeah, confessions, great place to start, very accessible uh, and, and a good work. No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it's, it sounds long, but it's actually not too long. Like for instance, the, the section that, that I, that the story that I just was talking about is in book eight, chapter 12. And yet you think like, well, book eight, chapter 12, it's actually more like each chapter is about a page, you know? And so it's not as long as it sounds. Um, but it's still, yeah, fantastic. It, he really does push us to think through our own lives. It's, it's very personal in that sense as well. Um, yeah. So Brendan, it sounds like you covered a lot in your sermon, but what got cut this week? Yeah, you know, I, some of the things I think it's kind of working through more and more, um, uh, some examples, biblical examples. Um, for instance, I think the two areas that I wish I could have added more into it. Um, one was what's the, what's the day of the Lord? Um, and the, the historical context of the day of the Lord. Um, Paul is talking about as much as like the day is drawing nearer. There, there's, there's a whole bunch that is coming behind that statement. Paul isn't just writing this, this simple like, oh, the day is coming. And, and Paul uses it in several ways. Like there's a very particular day, but he's also talking about daylight coming, um, that there's daylight here. And so... Um, but the day of the Lord out of Joel chapter two, I think that's a huge place to, to, to look at the day of the Lord and how, um, how desperate it is, um, how difficult it is. And so actually in Joel chapter two, I'm going to read just a little bit for you guys, if that's all right. Uh, Joel chapter two, uh, verse one, it says, blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on the holy mountain, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. And then he starts to describe it, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like blackness there is spread upon the mountains, a great and powerful people, their like has never been seen before, nor will again after them through the years of all generations. And he's just basically saying like there, there is a darkness that comes with this day of the Lord because he comes to judge. He's, he's coming in judgment. Um, and then after that, a little bit later in the same, same chapter, he, he talks about returning to the Lord and um, verses 12 and 13. Um, yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. And that's, I think, what Augustine was actually doing. He was returning to the Lord full of weeping. I, I don't know if we weep well. 
as, as a nation. I don't know if we cry well. We, we don't like it. Uh, it's inconvenient. Um, but when we think about our own sin, how can we really, really weep um, over it and mourn over it? Um, then verse 13, and rend your heart and your, um, and your garments. We return to the Lord your God, for he is a gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Uh, again, right, Romans actually carries some of these themes. Mercy is like full on in, in, in Romans, actually right before this. And so um, just realizing who God is, that, yeah, we should mourn. Yeah, it's going to be a terrible day for judgment. But yet he's also a loving God that has compassion um, on his people. Um, and just the last little bit about it, because I think this actually highlights his compassion for us. Some of us have been so stuck in, in, in darkness. Um, and I think about that passage taking off the... Um, the, the, the deeds of the flesh or the deeds of darkness. And he really starts going through those. And we can look back at our life and say, man, I've wasted so much of my life. And that's actually a pretty common response from people that come to know the Lord later in life. They just look back and go, I've wasted so much. If I could have just heard this earlier in my life, or if I just would have paid attention earlier in my life, you know? Um, but then this is a beauty. And this is the hope that we can carry. Verse 25 says, I will restore to the years that that the swarming locust has eaten, uh, the hopper, the, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. Basically saying, I will restore all of that brokenness that has, that has, that has happened. And so we have hope in that. Th those aren't wasted years that God actually restores those years um, in our life. And so, yeah, I think it's just, it's focusing on the day of the Lord, how, how destructive, how, does, how full of disaster it would be. Um, that, that's one area that I, would, that I would highlight a little bit more. Yeah. You want me to go on yeah. the second one? Talk about that. Um, yeah. Well, it's well, it's interesting with the day of the Lord. How, um, like, when you, what you read in Joel, you get a full picture on it, right? That there's um, sort of like God pouring out His Spirit and all these good things happening, but then also all these like terrible and terrifying things to it as well. And it, um, yeah, when Peter goes to preach his sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two. He talks about it as the day of the Lord. And it's interesting that it's almost like what's a single concept in the Old Testament gets like split open in this period of redemption history. That's sort of like the, like the, the day of the Lord began at Pentecost with God pouring out his spirit there. Uh, but then all the, like all of the terrible aspects, those are still, they're, they're coming. They're like, they're ahead. Um, yeah. My, I just remember my first mentor in the faith, uh, when I first came to faith, the guy who kind of like discipled me, invited me to his Bible studies. And um, he, uh, um, so I just, I thought of something funny that he made me do that I thought about sharing, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm going to, I'm going to move past that. Um, he, uh, he, when I, when I started dating Megan, who's my wife now, he made me ask her, her father, if I could, if, if it was okay, if we dated he, he was old fashioned like that. So he wanted me to do that. So I did. And now Megan loves to tell me about how they all laughed at me, her whole family <laughs> later that day <laughs> because of that. But I think, I think it was still, I mean, it worked out. Right. So <laughs> she <said laughs> but he, yes. <laughs> yeah, she said yes. So he said, yes, we used to talk about, um, he used to talk about the day of the Lord as a great and terrible day. Like, it'll be great for those who are in Christ, but it will be a day that's terrible. Um, 
because it's a day of, of judgment and that, that God is a God of justice and judgment will, um, it, it, there, it will come to be essentially uh, that God will make all things right. And there's an aspect in that of judgment, um, which I thought was just a, a kind of a good way of talking about the day, a, a great and terrible day, but all right, we, we can move on to the, what, what do you, what else do you got for us? So the second one was actually kind of just highlighting a little bit about um, when we talk about taking off and putting on uh, the story. And it is kind of, you had mentioned that you're reading through first and second Kings and it's actually, I'm, I'm reading through the Bible in a year. And so this is just one of those sections that I just recently read and how clearly it actually brings um, to light what reform looks like in our life. Um, uh, Josiah was the king. Um, and as he came into being, he actually was uh instituted as king when he was eight years old. Like he was, he was a young king. Um, and in that, it's like he's trying to clean the house of the Lord and they're like taking all the things of gold out and all kinds of stuff. And amongst those things, they find uh, pretty much the scrolls of the law. And he's so touched by, by what is being read to him that he actually gathers all of the elders. This is in, in 2 Kings 23, the beginning of it. He, he gathers all the elders and leaders of, of Israel and he says, you guys got to hear this. <laughs> it's like, this is, this is like something else. And, and he ends up reading the law to them. And from that, it, it, it's maybe this is where it pushes me as a follower of Christ. Cause it's not just reading the Bible and saying, that's good. It's making it personal. Like he cleaned house after he read this, like he realized how far the nation had gone from what its original intent was. And he starts to clean house. And by cleaning house, what I mean, he starts like finding all the places where people are worshiping. They're not worshiping in seclusion. They're worshiping out in the open. And he starts going through all the different things that he did. Uh, and reform is like, a, it just kind of sounds like a nice word, but it was terrible. Like some of the things they were doing, like um, going through and destroying and burning all of the idols, um, going through all the um, cult prostitutes and, and literally wiping them out and, and so many other things. And he, he went from place and it wasn't just all the distant places. Sometimes that's what we want to do. Um, let's take all the sin out of other people. Uh, but it was even in Jerusalem where he also was working um, there in his own, in his own hometown, if you want to put it that way. Um, and, and how uh, like we have got to take this seriously. When we, when we hear the words take off or put off, um, it's serious. It's not just a little, uh, let's just, let's make it look a little bit nicer. Let's make it a little bit more palpable. Let's, um, let's, let's put it in hiding, you know, like that's not the response either for us as followers of Christ. It's, it's actually dealing with it and dealing with it. Well, um, one of the places that it, that it's, uh, really cool when you get to the end of it, uh, he actually, the end of the chapter, it says that he, um, reinstituted the Passover that they hadn't done Passover for, it's like centuries. They, they just had forgotten as a nation, which seems so like right now you think of, of, of Jewish people, you think, Oh, Passover, they still do it, but they had stopped doing it. He reinstitutes that. But then what it says in uh, towards the end, um, verse 25 says before him, there was no King like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to the law of Moses, nor did any like him rise after him. I mean, this was a guy that was like in David's status as far as a king. Like nobody came before him like this. Nobody came after him uh, like this. But I think the way that it's described, it's exactly found in the law of Moses, right? He turned to God with all his heart and soul and might. 
which is exactly what Jesus talks about, that question about loving others. What's the greatest commandment? Well, the first one is love the Lord your God with what? With all your heart and soul and might. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So, so there's this, this joining piece, and, and he is described as someone who took it serious and who pursued God even to the point of like getting these, um, these, these, these idols and these distractions away from being able to, to follow God purely and, and rightly. And so, yeah, I, I think it's just that, that it takes real practical steps. Uh, we, can't, we can't just take a really easy stance on it in our own life. And that's where I think even Paul's idea of war, like we're living in war. Like we have got to go into battle day after day to battle our broken sin. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Brent, you is, mentioned. Sorry, go you, ahead, go, you got it. You got it. <laughs> um, you mentioned even in the context of this king how important it is to take reading the Bible very personal. So, how do you implement in that in your own life? Especially, I feel like reading this being so much more further removed from it. It feels. I mean, if you look at the end of the passage you preached on, it talks about the day is near, but that was written thousands of years ago and it's still near. So how do you continue to apply that and make it personal in your own life? Yeah. You know, I think it's, it's engaging in God's word, reading it consistently, reading it um, to, to be transformed and changed when there are passages that poke at us. It's not just avoiding and moving on. It's like, okay, how does that affect me? How does it affect my speech? How does it affect my, um, my, my, my desires, whatever types of desires. I mean, he talks about um, uh, addictions, I would say. And, and I, I would even say in, in, in those days of when Paul was writing it, he's talking about um, strong beverage and stuff. But I think that now he would have probably used even like drugs, like don't do drugs. You know, I think he would have been very much like involved in in some of those uh, things. But, but then there's also the, the, the next section is about like sexual brokenness and how we should not engage and how easy it is as Christians sometimes to just say, well, it's fine. It's not that bad. It's not hurting anybody. And, and you can take it at whatever um, level. It's consensual. Whatever we want to say, and we're taking a lens and putting it on. And, but whenever we're poked by something in God's word, um, it's not brushing it off. It's not moving away. It's sitting in it, letting God actually change that in our, in our lives. Um, the area of like the day of the Lord is at hand. Yeah. I mean, it's, he actually says it's, it's nearer than the day that we first believed, you know, and, and that's true, right? God, uh, Christ's return is, is one day sooner than it was yesterday. And that's going to be the reality of all of us every day. It's going to be, it's closer, it's closer, it's closer. It's that the anticipation. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's not letting ourselves um, ignore some of those big areas in our life, um, and letting God actually change that. So. Did I answer it? I don't know. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> it, is, it is easy, I feel like. So it's, it's easy sometimes to stop short of, um, like, I feel like there's a couple levels of like depth to, to your reading. And, uh, and this is with the Bible or with anything, but, but we're talking kind of specifically with the Bible here. But um, like if your devos are to read three chapters a day, then you could check the box done after you get through the three chapters, whether or not you understand them. Right. Um, and so like the first level is just reading. I think, I think just reading it, but then, it takes work to kind of push past that and to get to a place where you actually understand what you read. So 
like I've actually slowed down and I only do one chapter a day now for my devos. That's what I've been doing recently. Um, and I'll, I have a commentary that I'm, I'm going through first and second Kings too. And I um, have a commentary that I'll kind of jump to after I've read through the passage, just to answer any questions I have on it, get a better sense of what it means. Um, and so then that's kind of the second step is actually pushing to where, okay, I understand what this is saying, but then there's another level of depth even beyond that. And it's okay. I understand this, but what, what is this actually, uh, does this have any influence on the way that I'm living today? Does this impact my relationship with God? Uh, Brenton, as you were talking about, even in your message, does it impact my relationship with others? Um, how does this, how does this affect me? Or maybe if it doesn't hit me right now, in what situation would this actually be impactful for me? And I think, I think taking the time to slow down and, uh, and push for that depth is, is a significant piece of it, right? Mm-hmm. To not just read it, but to push to understand it. And then not just understand it, but to, to understand how this actually should impact me um, and maybe in what situations those would be. I think there's another another level, and it's probably implicit with what you with what you've said. I think the Bible talks about meditating on it right day and night. Mm-hmm. It's it's not just reading, and that's not just comprehending, but it, it's almost like soaking in it. It's like marinating in it, and and sometimes there's nuances or there's things that start to like swirl. Um, and, and sometimes you can say we're all different speed of processors. Like some people process information super fast and they can like jump to things super quick. And, and then there's some of us that take time. But I think the idea of meditate doesn't matter what your natural uh, place is to process. It's also like just sit in that truth um, and don't, don't get up. And that's probably the, my greatest, my greatest issue is that um, in the morning when I wake up, my wife and I wake up pretty early um, I have the clock ticking in my brain and that I know that by 6 a.m. if I'm not done, um, the day's about to like get running. And so that's what, that's what holds meditating is when I've got this time frame that it's got to absolutely be done by. And um, I'm not saying just kind of wake up and let whatever happens happen, but I do think there's ways. Actually, I had a friend who uh, he had a, um, uh, uh, an hour long, like, uh, uh, what's the word? It, recording of like, I don't know, peaceful sounds, like water running, but he knew it was an hour long. And so he would actually like just put that on and he knew as soon as it was done that he had five more minutes. So he didn't have to be thinking, okay, what time is it? He didn't have to be distracted by time. He could just sit in it because he knew once that was done, you'd have five more minutes and then he had to leave, you know, so he could wrap his thoughts up. And I, like those types of things can be so helpful to not be distracted by, do I got to go now? What's going to happen? Is this going to happen? To Yeah. And even those five minutes, like not I'm done when it's over, but I've got five minutes left. Like that little bit of margin I think is, is really significant as well. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, Brenton, thank you so much for being on this week. Uh, enjoyed the conversation a lot and uh, look forward to having you on again. Wonderful. Thanks, thank Brenton. Thanks for doing this. I know this has been a huge blessing to the body of Christ, the church. And so thank you guys for, for persevering and it, and it does help us move beyond what we're in on a Sunday. And so I appreciate you guys uh, continuing to put this forward. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week for the Pastor's Cut. We hope you join us again next week as we move into Romans chapter 14 with Pastor Dan Osborne.